What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Pagan. Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. We have on today Bob Wankel coming up right off the bat. Is the Eagle season over? Howard Eskin versus technology. It's Pi Day. Happy Pi Day to everybody. The Phillies and the World Baseball Classic are a match made in heaven, and Jason Kelsey returns. Let's bring on Kevin Kincaid. Let's bring on Bob Wankel. Kevin, full headband. Bob, not in front of his TV, so we don't know if any free agency signings or anything is breaking right now. So thanks a lot for that, big dog. I uh, didn't know that the TV was part of the invite. And so yes. I, I was like, why is he giving me a hard time about this? And then I went on Twitter and I, I saw the tweet. And now it makes sense. Yeah. You, the TV, come in a, in a, in a, in a kind of package, package deal. deal. Kind of like, yeah. yeah. Like Jason Kelsey comes with the Eagles, which um, I think everybody's happy. I know at least 66% of this this podcast, this broadcast is happy. I know Kev took Joe Giglio's side last week when he said that uh, Jason Kelsey maybe not returning might be best for business. Do you still think no, that? No, wait, 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 wait. Oh, hold on. Now, hold I'm on. Just, I'm... I didn't take anybody's side. didn't take anybody's side. I just said that there's probably validity to this before people poo-poo it, you know. He got killed, of course, because I think his take was that uh, I think he did say that it would be best for business. The Eagles will be better off if Jason Kelsey decides to retire. Yeah. You got to hand it to him, man. The guy knows how to to lead. The guy knows a good lead. I actually agree with Joe more than than a lot of people do. Um, I actually think Joe's, like you just said, I actually think he's pretty skillful at that. And I know he takes a lot of heat on social media, but it's definitely part of the game. Um, I don't know that, like, I don't know that he believed that take, to be honest with you. <laughs> I feel like that that was really? one where, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes Joe gives takes and he believes them and they're really well thought out. Like I've defended yes. him in the past. Like I think he actually makes a really good, even if the takes a little bit absurd or a little bit off the rails, like he does a very good job of defending it. This one, I feel like he might've sat down and been like, all right, let's see what people do with this. Do you think it was by the 400th quote tweet or the fifth 500th quote tweet? Do you think he was like, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I messed this one up. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's all about the Kev, engagement. You, He's it, so. Kev, you did have a good reasoning in the, in the article. I'm sorry. I know you're fair and balanced. I apologize for saying you took his side. Yeah. Um, like you Russ, did say Jurgens was a second round pick. You said if Isaac Smiler doesn't return, you could use Jurgens at guard, but that seems less popular. You got to pay Jalen. Obviously, his his contract situation is funky. We now know that he's making fourteen million. We don't know how much of that is guaranteed money just yet. I always look at it kind of though, like this team is about to lose a lot of veterans on both sides of the ball. I think Jason Kelsey is more important, not only from an all pro perspective, like he's playing, but also from just a veteran presence in that locker room. Now you could argue that they don't need a veteran veteran presence because they have Jalen Hurts, who seems to be the ultimate ultimate veterans presence um but what do you think about that what do you i'll go to you first kev sorry i'm reading russ in the comments russ pisses me I'm off i'm reading so the comments pocket. man you're always no, reading no the comments he wants me to man up and poop or get off the pot but here's what russ needs to know is that the mature thing here is pragmatism hot take negadelphia shit is easy being smart about it and be given a fair and balanced point of view is hard so rush joy can i don't know say it Stick to hockey. How about that? You can stick to hockey. Stick to needling uh, the hockey people out there. 
Um, all right. Yeah, listen, let's, let's not gloss over the like the main point of all of this. So Jason Kelsey's playing at an all pro Pro Bowl level, right? In his mid 30s. I mean, if he was any less of that, then we could have a realistic discussion about like whether moving on from him would be the right idea. But no, the guy is playing the best football he's ever played. I mean, he's still at the, the height of it. So that's what makes the take uh, on the surface seem silly, of course. But there are practical considerations here that I outlined in the story saying that you drafted his replacement, use a second round draft pick on his replacement, you know? So you already had this guy in the pipeline. Kelsey had a hand in picking that guy too. So, you know, when you go back and you look at what they got out of the first, the second and the third round in last year's draft, they got, Oh, excuse me. Here's where I, my annual, my uh, thing where I turn off my phone every time. When you look at Jordan Davis probably should have got more out of him this year. They stashed a center with their second round pick. And their third round pick was N'Kobe Dean, who was a value pick who dropped to him at that point, but he really didn't play anything other than special teams this year. So at some point you do, you know, you, you do you want to stash a second round draft pick for two years? No, you don't. Do you play him at guard? Yeah. And you get him on the field, but that they didn't draft him to play guard. Right. So there's some there's practical considerations here. I mean, Jason Kelsey, the longer he sticks around, the longer that Cam Jurgens has to wait uh, to get on the field. And, uh, you know, he was handpicked to be his replacement. So that and just looking at the salary of it, 14.25 million for Jason Kelsey this year. We don't know how much the cap hit's going to look like. We don't know how they're going to void and all those like dummy years at the back and what the dead cap's going to look like in 2025 or whatever. Right. I, I understand all that. But it, it's not crazy to say that, like, hey, if you're tied up against the cap, and you got a lot of free agents and you're looking to sign some people that having a, a backup center who's the future on a rookie deal now um, and having him come in and being able to use the Jason Kelsey money for something else. It's, it's not crazy. It's not crazy to say that. It sounds crazy because he's playing at a high, le- a very high level still. But when you do it on paper, it's it's all, all of all that discussion was just, hey, what's what's the best you know business practice here? That's all. That's really all it was, you know, Bob, people just got wrapped up. In, people just got wrapped up in it because he's like a fan favorite. You know? So the way I would go about this, like the way that I look at it is how are the Eagles going to win in 2023? They're, they're going to win with offense. Like we we know that this defense is going to be significantly weakened. Now, I don't think that they're going to be a bottom 10 unit. Like I know that there's panic right now. And, and Kevin, I saw your tweet going at WIP and I guess we could probably get to that at some point. But like, <laughs> like I, I get it. But at the same time, like this could still be a functional defense, but they're going to win with offense. And I would ask, like, if you're going to win with offense, Forget the leadership stuff. Like, and, and obviously that's important. We know what Jason Kelsey means to the team and, you know, the, the pulse of the locker room and all that stuff. But just from a – we know what his value is on the field and at the level at which he plays. And to me, if this thing is going to be driven by the offense and it's going to be a first to 30 type of team this year, I want that guy on the field. And, like, ultimately, like – and I know you, you said it. Like, you don't really know how the dollars and cents work out. You don't know how they're going to structure it. I don't know the cap – the cap structure but I even just look at it this way like if it were as simple as would you rather have Jason Kelsey back right now playing center for this team even knowing that his replacement's in the pipeline or would you rather have TJ Edwards playing linebacker next year like for me I'd rather have Jason Kelsey than a guy like TJ Edwards and I know it's not an even up proposition here but I would be willing to sacrifice that spend defensively to make sure that I have all of the pieces that I need to take this thing to the next level offensively and really kind of continue to build on what they did this past year. That's why I look at it. Yeah. yeah and that's listen, not I know a lot of people are freaking out. Yeah. People are, people are freaking out and you know, it's, that's, that's normal. 
Um, I know it's none of our listeners because we've always trained them on a rational Tuesday that will always be rational. We'll come down. We're not mouth breathers and whatnot. We appreciate everybody listening. But yeah, I mean, people are freaking out about TJ Edwards leaving and you get what? 12 million guaranteed. I mean, the last time Howie paid for a linebacker was Nigel Bradham's bail money. Okay. So the guy doesn't pay for linebackers. Javon Hargrave, kind of a Benedict Arnold for going to the 49ers. I'll say it, but you know what? The guy who turns down 84 million, uh, should, should be the first one to throw the rock at the glass house. (laughs) Um, what? Who Imagine else? If Andre they Dillard. offered you that money, that money to play with that unit, which was already amazing. Like, yeah, oh. anybody would have would have jumped at that. Yeah, yeah. How about Howie though? Too, and going back to Howie, like why I trust him is because he just showed you everything that he he could do last year. Like, uh, I got the uh, the signings from the signings and the trades from last year. So the 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 free agency started on March 16th. Hassan Reddick signed that same day. Zach Pascal was the second one. Five days later, Kaiser White was 10 days later, March 26th. We didn't get A.J. Brown until the draft at April 28th. Then James Bradbury came a couple weeks later on the 18th of May. C.J. G.J., who would have been an all-pro if he didn't get hurt. August 30th, Robert Quinn. Obviously, that didn't pan out, but, you know, at the time, people were excited. And then Linval Joseph and Dominican Sue. This is every, this is all guys who played in the Super Bowl that it took over eight months to get. There are a few different levels to this, though. Like, So Howie Roseman should have some level of trust from this fan base. He's proven that he can build a winner. I've heard the, the criticism, and it's, it's fair. I mean, it's worth at least having the conversation. He hasn't been able to build a sustainable winner. I would argue, though, like you look at 18 and 19 after the Super Bowl run, you say, all right, well, they still made the playoffs. The reason to me, and I know this is going to come as a surprise, the reason to me that they didn't build a sustainable winner the first time was because of the quarterback, and the quarterback being a loser. It wasn't because they were they, they favored and, and got sentimental with certain players and the Nigel Bradhams of the world. It was the quarterback was broken. Like, that's, that's what happened there. So I don't know that it's entirely fair to say that he can't build a sustainable winner, but at the same time, he hasn't yet. Like, that has not materialized. And I do think that that's, that's worth at least considering. I just look at this here and say, like, that's not what this offense – or that's not what this offseason is going to be. Like, this offseason isn't going to be the blockbuster trade for, for A.J. Brown. It's not going to – it likely isn't going to be the next C.J. Gardner-Johnson, like, on April, on August 30th. Like, I don't see those moves. Like, this is a team that has backed themselves into a little bit of a corner with the cap. They're still very talented. You look around the NFC, you see what the competition is. Like, you don't you don't have to feel good about what transpired yesterday, losing all these players. It sucks to see these guys fly off the board like that. But at the same time, like, I think you have to understand the reality of what this offseason is. Like, the, the, the check is kind of – the rent has, so to speak, come due. Like, you can't just keep peddling off dead money. Like, you can't keep manipulating the cap. Like, at some point, you're going to have to eat it a little bit, and that's what they're doing right now. Well, they shouldn't, and nobody should be, um, when you look at the individual situations, so I think people always look at this concept of like, well, you want to come back and give it another run, or you want to run it back, you want to play for a winner, or some people even throw the dreaded like team-friendly contract out of there. But when you look at every single one of these guys, none of them had a tie to Philadelphia. TJ Edwards is an Illinois kid. He grew up north of Chicago. And he played at Wisconsin, and like the Bears were his hometown team. So, like, of course, he's probably going to. There's go back no to it. scenario on earth where fans should expect, and if a player wants to do it, like if, if Brandon Graham wants to do an incentive laden deal to to finish out his career in Philadelphia, that's awesome. Good on him. I applaud that. But nobody should ever expect a player to show loyalties beyond the means of their contract to a town or a city or a team. Like, 
I love I love crossing broad. Like crossing broad is is uh, you know allowed me to change careers. I enjoy my career. I've been paid well. If there was a competing blog and competing company that wanted to enter the Philadelphia sports space and they were willing to pay me 70% more a year to do it. Like, Hey guys, like I'm going to take that deal. Like I don't know crossing broad anything beyond the work that I've given it. Right. Like, and I, I think that that applies to almost every industry. So it's always funny to me that people get worked up like TJ Edwards, like, did, if the Eagles offered him a comparable deal, how could he possibly leave? Why wouldn't he want to run it back here? These guys, it's not all about money, but these guys also feel like, hey, like I can go build a winner somewhere else. We can do it somewhere else. It's not like guys sign on to go three and 14. Like you believe that you can be a part of the next thing somewhere else when you do that. Yeah. And like, it's just to like finish that thought too. Like Marcus Epps is a West Coast guy. Like he's from, um, he's from Southern California. You know, and he went to, uh, to uh, Wyoming, played college in Wyoming, right? And so, like, what, like, goes to the Raiders? Okay, cool. You know, and Javon Hargraves from um, South Carolina, North Carolina. I think he's from North Carolina. He went to school in South Carolina. He's got, he's got no ties here. We signed him as a free agent in the first place. You know what I mean? So there's no, there's no, you know, he gets that kind of money to go play for the 49ers. I don't begrudge any of these guys for leaving. Andre Dillard was a first round draft pick here who sat. And I mean, I will say like on the flip side of what I just kind of noted there, like I get it. You're, you, you make a Super Bowl run. You feel like you were right there, you know, and then mm-hmm. Bob Hargrave is signing with a team that you might be playing in the NFC championship again, you know, the, the next January. And like that, you know, it's annoying. Like you sure. invest in guys, like everyone like loves CJ Gardner Johnson, the energy and like the vibe and all that. And if he goes somewhere else and you got to read about him kind of mouthing off on Twitter in support of someone else or another team, that hurts a little bit as a fan, but I mean, that's what it is. That's, that's the business. He gets the unfollow real quick. I unfollow everybody who leaves <laughs> except for Carson Wentz and Ben Simmons. Yeah. I will follow them to the end of the earth. I will follow them to hell. Um, yeah. what do you think about the, the Jason Kelsey filmed, uh, retirement comeback with, uh, with Howie Roseman was, uh, was that hug as awkward as I thought it was, uh, from Howie seemed like you kind of just bumped bellies with him. See, I didn't notice the uh, the awkward hug. I just kind of was like, this is cool. Like, everything that guy does is cool. Like, that's good content. Like, he he did it perfectly. He didn't let everything Jason Kelsey hurt. does is cool, yeah. you're saying, not yeah. Howie. Yeah. Okay. All right. But, I mean, I'll, give, I'll even give Howie credit in the video. Like, he goes, Vegas, baby. Vegas. Like, yeah. it's a good line. I like so- that. I uh, here here here's the hug. The hug the hug surprise. <laughs> That's just not a good hug. He's fired up for his guy. I, I mean, if the Eagles go four and <laughs> if the Eagles go four and thirteen this year, I'm gonna hate Howie Roseman again. Like the rest, like of the he city, snuck but... up on Jason Kelsey right there. Like he literally, yeah, like right you gotta now, go. Like, love it. like there's like genuine excitement there by the guy. Like uh, you gotta know. go dap. You gotta go dap there, and you gotta bring it in. You got the nice little on the back shoulder the little. The pat like that, you know, like when you that's see a buddy for the though. first like, time in a long time. Like, that's like there's a real relationship there between those two. Like he has he has like serious love for Jason Kelsey. So you see that there. That is true. And I don't think how he hugs a lot of guys at Temple. So I don't think he has a lot and of keep uh, mind, Jason Kelsey basically told everybody to shove it when they won that Super Bowl. And I mean, he he said, yo, Howie, like Howie's the guy. Like you, you remember that. Like that's true. So I, I I did a little research into the tequila that they were drinking. Did you know that's Jim Cramer's Mezcal tequila? <laughs> and how he's got an investment, uh, he invested in it. So that of course is he does. Howie always thinking. Entrepreneur gets that, says the says the word, it's called uh 
phosphor it's called phosphoro tabala penca mezcal now bob and uh and kevin i'm going to learn you a little bit the tabala plant takes 12 to 15 years to mature so this is some legit tequila you're getting out there 125 a bottle at your local uh wine and spirits so So you know uh it's good. yeah so you know it's good are you a tequila guy bob you don't strike me as a tequila guy no i'm all beer all beer yeah. Big IPA guy, actually. Big IPA guy. Tonewood? I like a little Tonewood, yeah. I'm I'm a Tonewood guy. Tonewood got too popular, though. You can't even get a seat in there anymore. Like, the last three times I've been into Tonewood, it's, like, uh, out the door, and you're just kind of, like, hugging the wall trying to find a spot. A lot of little kids, lots of dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I I went to – I went last time I went there, there was some kind of, like – there must have been some – mom's and dad's event or something because there's like a hundred strollers in there so they must have had like a mom that's nah, just don't it was just it was just my friends and, and me this uh, is saturday yeah. i think about this all the time. Up, thank god for the, the the brewery boom over the last 10 years because i don't know what i would do socially if it had not been for that i mean we take the yeah. kids especially with kids man yeah yeah because we ain't go we ain't taking our kid to the bar at like 10 o'clock you know what i mean i'm not going down to uh you know the, uh, the that is kind of funny how right that is kind of funny how it's like looked down upon to take your kid to a, a bar, but the fact that breweries have open space, it's like yeah, bring yeah. them on in. It's, it's made being a drunk socially acceptable, it's like with yeah. your family. Like, hey kids, watch me drink this third IPA. <laughs> It'll be great. Now, now listen, I like Tonewood. Went there the other day. I went there before the Super Bowl, and they kicked out a bunch of Eagles fans for just chanting E A G L E S. Uh, an ungodly amount of times. People were loving it. The bouncers weren't loving it. Do I blame it for the Super Bowl loss? Give it about 5%. 5% on top of the uh, that, the Sodfather. Yeah, the Sodfather is 95% in Tonewood. Oh, no, no, no. The Sodfather is another 90, yeah. and then the flag at the end is the, is the other five. Um, so you guys don't think that the Eagles lost the uh, the NFC on March 14th, Pi Day? I have to disagree. I would, I would uh, disagree with Dan Cilio's take on that. Yeah. Um, I would, I I have to go the other way. I don't think that they've lost. I've been trying to avoid that saying his name, sharing any of this stuff, you know, but big sills, big sills. (laughs) Now the thing about big sills is I love it because he also in the same video goes now, I do have an opportunity to change this take whenever I want to during the season. So March I just 15. like that. He he bought his yeah, he bought his he bought himself an out. And that's what the best radio guys and sports well, I mean, radio he's, guys he's, he's fair and balanced. That's yeah. why Kevin likes him so much. I mean <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, a lot of pragmatism coming from from that corner. No, I, I tweeted at uh yeah, WIP. The, I know the guy who runs the account over there, and he's like a good dude. He's like a strip. He's actually a big basketball fan. But it's like I, I, you know, no, I'm not worried. Who's running about the, the account over there? Uh, I think a couple of different people do it, but this guy Andrew Andrew Porter was uh, sent that one. He's one of their web guys over there. He he's been with them for a long time, and he did he came over and did some TV on Channel Three back in the day. But they but in the in actuality here, right? Like we knew that they had Jordan Davis who needed snaps this year. We knew that they had of cam jurgens who needed snaps as you knew they had nicobe dean right so okay the two guys so hargrave what 
one one of Hargrave, Cox, we're going to have to make way for Davis to get more snaps anyway. One of Kaiser White and TJ Edwards, we're going to have to make way for N'Kobe Dean to, to be on the field anyway. So you knew, you knew that you had some guys who were already in the pipeline, right? I mean, so these nobody should really feel bad about any of this stuff. Hargrave took the money. He's going to a better place with a with a crazy defensive line. That's fine. TJ Edwards, Nicobe Dean's there for him. Marcus Epps, good player, but just a guy, you know, two years, 12 million with the Raiders. Like these guys are all replaceable. Andre Dillard wasn't even playing, you know, so nobody, nobody should, you know, the silliness of like the overreact the day after overreact. I think it just comes down to the, the quantity of players, you know, it's like each one of those individually you look at it and you can, you can go through the reasoning and say, all right, it makes sense. But yeah. say, hey, there's <laughs> yeah. three big time contributors and a nice depth piece all out the door in one day. It's tough when you get back, you know, Jason Kelsey, a guy that you kind of assumed all along probably would be back. So I think yeah, that, it's like, the optics. Yeah, as a fan, you're a little bit unsettled by that. But I also think, too, here here you go. Like, is there any chance that the Eagles don't use that first pick on a defensive lineman? Like, I just think it's almost clear as day at this point that assuming they say it's going to be a defensive lineman. Are we allowed to say we're in on Jalen Carter? Like, we're allowed to, right? Like, if Jalen Carter's there at 10, like, I think think it's okay to take him. Now, we had – we had Connor on uh, last week, and he said people are very worried about it. Everyone he's talked to about, you know, a potential Henry Rugg situation. God forbid someone goes out, drinks too much, and is driving 150 miles down, you know, Broad Street, and, and something happens like the Henry Rugg situation. But I don't know. From everything I've read about it in the police report and everything, it kind of seems like they were just racing, and Jalen Carter really didn't have anything to do with anything. Um, now the Bears traded down to nine and still might grab him, which will be absolutely insane. One of the biggest fleeces of all time, getting the guy you wanted at one and then getting him at nine. Um, but I'm I'm in all all on, uh, on Jalen Car- Carter. Carter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he, someone's going to take him at some point, you know. And yeah. you start talking about value, like the value of the fact that this guy made a bad decision, and then you can grab him ten picks later. Like I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that you have to. It kind of goes without saying, but you have to do your homework there and make sure that you're comfortable with the person, you know, make sure that the that they're, you know, is there any more to this? Now, not only is there any more to the actual isolated situation which we're talking about, but like, do like, do, does he check out from a background perspective? And I imagine he, like, it's always mixed, but like you hear some pretty good things about him too. Like, good guy, like, you know, this is an unfortunate situation, but, you know, he's going to be in the league. So, yeah, if you have an opportunity to draft the guy and you feel comfortable with it, then, yeah, go for it. Let me ask you a, que- like a serious question. Um, not a rhetorical question, like a real question. When's the last time the Eagles had a um, disciplinary issue with a player? Like Nigel a real Bradham. Oh, a real one? Josh Huff? Josh Huff on Hollow Point speeding, Bulls? Speeding over the bridge. Like speeding over the, the bridge, right, and then had a gun in the car. Is that, I think, is what happened? With Hollow Point Bulls, Daryl like Worley, too. Didn't he fall asleep in his car with, like, a gun or something? But he didn't even Project make the Bunk- team. Right? Project Bunkley got shot, but that was just a – that was a robbery, was 20 right? Years, 20 years ago, too, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it was Nigel Bradham. Retroactively, the Dante Stallworth, you know – that he he got into trouble, right? Like well, I'm trying to think of who because you've had you've had we can go to I can probably look up like the list of suspensions for all NFL players. I think the I think Lane Johnson was the most recent suspension because of the PED stuff, but that's not even really I wouldn't even characterize that as like a like a you know a crime related off field issue. I mean Nigel Bradham clocked the dude in the face and then he brought the gun into the airport and he got the one game suspension 
I think the year after the Super Bowl, I want to say, but th- there was no, I mean, the really, Eagles really haven't had like a, like a big thing like that in a long time. And I think that the point I'm trying to make or the thing I'm trying to get at here is that I just think they do their due diligence with this stuff. You know, like I think they do a good job of looking at these guys' backgrounds. Oh. They got Big Dom looking them up. Big Dom. Up down, you know, big Dom with the Italian tracksuit. You know, he's checking them out. He's yep. looking into their background. But they they don't they don't really I, I I just think that they're 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 pretty shrewd when it comes to like knowing like okay this is oh this is okay this is not okay like I think they they do a they run a pretty tight ship when it comes to that stuff you know so uh, we got a couple comments Stallworth was after the Eagles McDougal was shot not brought yeah, in front was my after fault. The, yeah. yeah I get I get those mixed up and then Ted asked did someone die in that Carter crash yes it wasn't Jalen Carter it was Carter's teammate who and another. Georgia staffer, who I'm pretty sure the Georgia staffer was driving the car and it just went off the road and, and killed both of yeah, them. Yeah, he was like a recruiting um, staffer or something yeah, like that, I think. Recruiting yeah. staffer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I all in on all here's the thing, though. But here's the thing, real quick. I don't think, you know, Eagles fans and like Philadelphia sports fans, sports fans in general are a lot different when it comes to that kind of like off field stuff, you know? Like if they did draft him, I'm, I'm sure that there would be an accompanying like statement or something, you know? Like saying that they looked into it and they did their, they went through the process and found that this was all right, you know. Cause I mean, you, you look at the pushback you got for shit like, um, like Oduble, you know what I mean? Where um, even though Oduble Herrera was, um, I mean, he wasn't cleared, but I guess his girlfriend or whatever decided not to press charges. I mean, there's still people who said that they weren't going to watch the Phillies or they didn't want to watch it because of that. You know what I'm saying? So they, they, the Eagles got to take that in mind too. That's just a different, it's just a different, environment now different ecosystem i think like fans especially younger fans look at that stuff a lot differently than they used to we all laugh at jerry jones and the dallas cowboys because like oh they'll sign any criminal they want you know but i mean like people take that i mean i think people look at it differently there's there's a there's a smaller amount of the fan base that would just kind of brush that off and be like oh the guy's innocent or whatever you know i just think they look at it differently you know no 100 percent um you got to go in a little bit bob but uh i want to talk to you a little about the uh, world baseball classic um (laughs) what is it about the phillies that that gives them runs, Team USA, and what is it about the Mets that do not? A bunch of loser franchises just getting the loser bug on them? It might be awesome. that, yeah. Have you, awesome. So I, I got to be honest. I woke up today, and I see Crossing Broad tweeting about the World Baseball Classic and, like, getting some pretty good interaction. And Our boys, I man. Twitter, right? And I'm, yeah. like, looking, and people are like, this team, like, two nights ago, this team's a disgrace. Like, what, what are they, <laughs> they doing? Were. And I'm like, wow, people are actually getting upset about the World Baseball Classic. Like, I, I don't know how you feel about the World Baseball Classic. I wanted to like it. Like, I'm always a guy that that wants to like things. Like, people, like, you know, Kevin has to deal with this all the time. Like, he writes a union story, and then he looks at Facebook, and there's 10 guys in the comments saying, like, soccer's not a sport. Who gives a shit? Like, my thing is, like, I don't care about soccer, right? Like, you know that, Kevin. But I'm also not a guy that's like, it's stupid that you like something like Mm -hmm. I'd rather like soccer. I wish I was into it. Liking more things would be awesome, but I'm not moved by it. And that's kind of my approach to the world baseball classic. I went in open-minded. I'm in like, let's do it. 10 o'clock FS one Fox. We're going to watch some games late, have a couple beers. I'm out. I just don't care. 
I no, it's, it's a, the games are late, man. The games are late as hell. Nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. Some of the starts and everything. The guys actually love it. Like Trout gave an awesome yeah. interview. I don't know if you saw it. Like he, they, like he said, him and Wainwright were having like the time of their lives. One of the most fun they've ever had playing baseball and stuff. Trey Turner seems like a good dude. Schwarbs is a good dude. Pete Alonso sucks. Jeff McNeil sucks. But the other guys, like Mookie Betts, they seem like they're pretty good dudes, too. It's just a good group of dudes, man. If they had some pitchers that were fun, too, it'd be yeah. awesome. And, and they're missing that. And you do see, like, other other countries, other teams. Like, you see the emotion. Like, mm-hmm. it is it is entertaining to watch that stuff. But, like, I feel like I can almost consume that in social media highlights and kind yeah. of be like, I got it. I understand. Yeah. There's but also maybe, a lot of blowouts, man. There's a lot yeah, of blowouts. a lot of non-competitive games. And I, you just see that. I mean, there's such a discrepancy in talent, especially with the pitching. We saw what happened to Canada last that night. 19-year-old kid, they trotted out there. What's the play ball just getting destroyed. I mean, yeah. you know, we could say what you want about the, the United States pitching staff, but, you know, that's a whole different level of, of not ready for this. Uh, maybe as this thing goes deeper, though, you know, and you start to get certain matchups, maybe this, maybe it's a little different. Maybe there's a little bit more juice to it for me. But right now, mm. Bob, uh, who's like the other? Like, if let me ask you, like a fill in the blank here. If Team USA does not win this thing, uh, blank would win it instead. I have no idea. I mean, I have no no clue. You're not even that far. Uh, in. I'm not. I'm not there. I don't. I have no clue. Like hmm. I tell you, like the Dominican Republic has a great team. I don't yeah, know. They're- knocked out though i have no clue i haven't i haven't found it we're like third i think it's like us puerto rico and the dominican republic are like the top three favorites i could be wrong on puerto rico but i know dominican republic one through nine are are just wild there's also that back uh and they talk about smoltz talks about on the broadcast and i forget who's calling games with them but he does it the two it's just uh, they all they talk about is behind the scenes, like managers just telling all these uh, Mark DeRosa, like, hey, my guy can only go like 40 pitches a, a start or my guy can only go 65 pitches a start. It's just like um, it's it, yeah. so it, so that's a kind of a factor, too. And the pitching. But, man, do they they really do love it. And look at this so far in the World Baseball Classic. This comes from Tim Kelly Sports on Twitter. The three Phillies on Team USA, Trey Turner, JT. Kyle Schwarber are combined six for 16. That's a 376 batting average with two home runs, seven RBIs, and four walks. Do you think this? I, I, I think it will. Do you think this will help them going towards the season? They kind of just, you know, getting your, your prep time, getting your. Uh, yeah, your- I, I actually would say there, there's probably something to be said for playing in a, a more competitive environment than what's offered by, by spring training. Um, you know, those guys are up there with a little bit more focus. There's a little bit more intent. Um, that being said, they're they're probably also not facing at least like last night, for instance. You're not yeah. getting the same quality of competition. But as this thing advances, if they make the later stages, they get beyond the pool play, then you'll really start to see better better caliber pitching. And I think when you consider the stakes, the eyeballs, you're more in like that competitive rhythm. And so I don't think there's any downside to it for sure, and, and probably a little bit of upside in terms of prep. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch a lot of West Coast Dodgers games. Man, Trey Turner can run. That dude he might be not. double. He might be double play proof. There's a, a there's a couple takes out there that people have him. Uh, like I think Smoltz said it on the broadcast of the World Baseball Classic the other uh, night, the first uh, USA game. Uh, seventy stolen bases. He thinks Trey Turner can steal <laughs> seventy bases this year with the new rules. Now I don't know if that's true or not, but you look at the speed, and I think that Trey Turner stands to benefit for those rule changes. Like. Yeah, if I had a bet on like over under 50, I'd probably take the over. Holy so, shit, with the bigger bases? Yeah, I mean, and he's because- Trey Turner throughout his career, he's had some injury problems, but his 162 game average, he averages 44 stolen bases in a in a game and in an era where stolen bases have been 
been completely deprioritized. So I think that there's a real opportunity for him to put up huge numbers. Damn. Craig's got the uh Craig's got the odds from FanDuel right here. Yeah, he wants to pull him up for the World go. Baseball Classic. All right. Wow, Japan. Shohei Otani. And uh and the and the boys out there are uh are the favorites right now plus 210, USA plus 350, Dominican Republic plus 390, Venezuela 420, Mexico 10 to 1, Cuba 16 to 1. So, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, US, uh, I believe, started out with the second best odds to win. And I believe actually it was the Dominican Republic yeah. who had entering the tournament the best overall odds. Uh, Japan, if I'm, I, I think Japan's completed their pool play. I think they were undefeated. Um, you they know, so obviously China 22 to 2. Yeah, so the odds have obviously shifted here a little bit, and you see why they are what they are. Yeah. All right. Well, do you got to go? I can hang in for for a couple more if you want me. But all right, cool. Because we want I, I want to talk about Howard Eskin versus technology. <laughs> <laughs> Just an all time all time tweet from that that Kevin pulled yesterday from uh, from the king from genius. If you didn't see this, Howard Eskin versus technology. Let's check in on how that bout is going. And technology wins again by knockout. Uh, if you didn't see this, it's just he just pulled Schefter's quote, uh, or tweet, excuse me, of the, Dehan, uh, the, the Javon Hargrave signing and uh, even got the OBJ thing in there, which, Kev, you said that was, what is that? I think it's when you uh, accidentally try to copy and paste like an image that won't like That's translate. Just, that is absolutely what happened here. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So there must have been a picture in she- there must have been a picture of Hargrave or whatever in Schefter's tweet. So he probably accidentally highlighted the picture and tried <laughs> to copy and paste it into the like what's on your mind form and it didn't like you know populate. So it just said OBJ <laughs> so in brackets. Yeah. I have a question. So I'm not a huge sports radio guy. I, I I think my father listened to Eskin back in the day, but I don't really like have many memories of it. Like some people might, oh, you know, listen to my listen to Eskin with my dad in the car. So like, what was sports radio like back then? Like, was this the guy who basically brought you the news? Because like, if if, no. if like Donovan no. McNabb was having like contract negotiations and like somebody was like, no, Donovan McNabb is being a dick during contract negotiations, blah, blah, blah. Could it sometimes be spurned because like maybe Donovan didn't give, you know, I'm just using him as an example, but Eskin or Cataldi an interview. We're like, were these the guys who were like delivering people news back in the day? They, they weren't, but I will say like, I remember Gargano back at like the turn of the century when he was on WIP, like he was pretty plugged into McNabb at points. And like, there were times where you would listen to him for you know sourced information like he he was a little bit more tuned in to those teams at that time and like he'd be like i talked to a guy and he'd give you like a little bit here and there so you'd almost listen to a guy like gargano for like a little inside info like a little bit of like a what's going on behind the scenes thing but most of these guys have always been what they are now like it's about talking points and controversy eskin at his peak was interesting like i used to drive cars uh, for a dealership, like back from like Mannheim auto auction out, like in like central PA. And so mm-hmm. I was always in the car. And I listened to a ton of sports talk radio in like my teens and like early twenties. And it, like Eskin was always, he is what he is now, or he, he is, you know, it's the same thing. It's very combative. Even if you make a point, like he won't let you make the point. Like if you ever listen to like the riding with the King segment that he does at six o'clock, no matter who's on, whether it's like Rob Ellis or when it was with Jillio or it'll be with Fritz now, he'll come on and you'll make a point. And he's like, yeah, but like, you know, like he, he won't let you have 
anything in a conversation. And he was very combative with callers. Like you get a little bit of that with Missinelli or you got a little bit of that with Missinelli where he'd tell a guy he's an idiot. But I mean, Eskin would just obliterate callers and, and co-hosts back in the day in his, in his prime. Um, it was tough. Like he was a smart guy. He was sharp. He had some edge to him, but like, man, he, he could be mean and like he softened up at his old age and stuff like that. But uh yeah, I mean, I, I was never a huge Howard guy, but, I mean, he ruled for a long time, so. It was very uh, standoffish. Very you know? standoffish. He, he, was ve- he would, like, denigrate callers. He'd call them morons. He'd call them nitwits. He'd call the same things that he says now. It's very yeah, it's very similar, but he kind of, like, wouldn't get let you get a word in. There was a host who would always, like, if a, a woman called, he'd ask, like, what was for dinner? Was that him? Yeah, yeah he, he would say, what's for dinner tonight? Yeah, yeah. like. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's how he, but, but that's how it's, there are, Miss Anelli had a little bit of that. It's funny because they hosted together where if you made a, sometimes, because I think a lot of times if you make a point now in any kind of discussion, people will just not concede, you. but they'll be like, they'll be like, all right, I see what you're saying. Like back then he would say, no, you're wrong. Dude, yeah. there's nothing worse than fighting with the, bro- with the friend or your brother who just does not concede a point. Like, it's yeah. just so stubborn. Like, it would be talking about the Phillies, like, late last season, and this yeah. isn't verbatim, but the general idea would be like, oh, listen, they've got some flaws, but they could potentially make the playoffs. They have a good offense. Harper's back, and he'll be like, yeah, but, like, it, like just totally discredit that point. Be like, yeah, but it's the Phillies, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, it would just shut the door on your point. Here's mine. Like, when I talk to my dad, my dad is 77, and he's still pretty sharp for his age. But when you have a conversation with my dad, he's the guy where no matter what you're saying, he already has the next thing in his head that he wants to say. So no matter what you say, the thing is still going to come out of his mouth. Like that's sort of what's happening with Howard these days. Yeah. So it's like he's not even listening to what you're saying. Like, he's yeah, just, I just, yeah. I'm he's on ready to my next go. Point. It's awesome. Once you Get stop talking, to. he's on. He's. Oh. It was very. Po- it was very popular back then. I mean, my dad had it on all the time. Um, you know, I remember whenever we were whenever we were in the car during that time whatever time slot he would have been on back then, you know, like it was always on and he was, Oh, I just remember the main thing I just remember is him like, like showing no quarter to the callers. Yeah. Every like, well, at least like once every 10 minutes, somebody was a moron. So I guess I did lie because I have one story. Uh, My dad called after a Sixers playoff game early 2000s, and he said he really liked Rajah Bell and Rajah Bell's defense, and they <laughs> laughed him off the air. <laughs> now, Dad, did he deserve it? Yes, he did. I mean, he, Rajah Bell was the Kobe stopper for the Suns for a little bit, the Steve Nash and Amari Suns. So maybe my dad maybe should have had a little front office position, but I'm just saying he was laughed off the airway. So he loved that story. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, so uh, covering the Phillies the last few years, you know, in the press box, I have a seat, which is cool. I meant to t- I meant to ask this. Yeah, Howard sits next to me, uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was like a joke. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are they really putting him next to me? Like I'm sitting there watching a game with this guy and, you know, three hours earlier, Kevin's destroying him on the website. And I'm like, hey, Howard crossing bro. What's up? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I've actually helped Howard send a text message before. He was having a hard time. He was having a hard time with a picture file. And he said, like, oh, uh, like, do you know how to do this? And I did it for him. Very nice. Like, I've actually always gotten along with Howard in person. But, yeah. He's going to be I, at the um, the birds debate at McGurk's tomorrow. Should I, go down with I believe yeah. him and both Elliot, uh, him and Elliot Shore Parks are going to be special guests on the birds debate, despite the fact that Elliot's on the station five times a day. Yeah. I, I should go down and see him. It's in Horsham. It's only like 20 minutes away. Should I'm I show sure they would up? all love to buy you a beer. They'll say, oh, there's Kevin Kincaid. 
our, biggest, our biggest champion. Yeah, fair and balanced. Did you not see yeah. that Inquirer Sixers story? That was fair <laughs> and balanced. Yo, yeah. tell us a little bit about that, Kev. What happened? The editor of the Inquirer sent out a pretty sad, uh, sad email to his people saying that uh, your your article on this, the Inquirer's coverage with the uh, Sixers downtown arena wasn't actually objectively fair. Can we bring up the email or am I not allowed to? Uh, no, I haven't vetted. I don't know what else is in that image, but, um, okay. Yeah. He basically just said it was like unfair and inaccurate. He was saying that it was, it unfairly portrayed the people on the community as an engagement desk. Right. So he, he's just sending that to the newsroom to, uh, defend his people, I guess, and send like a, like a warning to everybody else not to talk to us. But still, I mean, he knows it was a hundred percent fair. It was any, I, like I noted when I, um, you know, gave my opinion, you know, it was mostly just a data study really. And then I had inquire sources who said what they had to say. And so it really wasn't that controversial at all. I mean, the data is what it is. Right. And, uh, you know, I think the, um, the, uh, the interesting thing about it is that there's just a kind of like a, like a wall between like that new desk and the rest of the newsroom, you know, like, so they, they, they were brought in to kind of do this mission, like to get into the community, get into Chinatown and represent their point of view. And then other people want to write about it. And they're like, no, we're like, we're like, they, they exist like on their own. Like, like so there's people outside of the community desk that want to write about maybe even a, from a, from a pro stadium perspective and the community engagement desk is kind of like eh, nah, that's not your beat yeah they're, they're just saying my understanding was that they're just kind of standoffish about it you know like that's kind of like their territory almost like they've kind of staked their territory and it's like this is what we're doing and this is our mission and whatnot um it would be like but, me you know, like it's, i'm only doing eagles and and kev you can have phillies flyers and sixers kind of like that yeah you know it'd be like if bob wanted to write like a column about like the eagles or something like no fuck you i've got it like i'm talking yeah. to my people and whatever like yeah. kind of like yeah kind of like defending your like like territory or whatever you know but it's um it's interesting because yeah i mentioned too like i reached out to them i sent them this story like two days ahead of time they had i think there was like 46 hours that transpired between like when i sent it to them and when it actually went up and they responded once with like a four-word email and then they didn't really follow it was fine like whatever if you don't want to comment you don't have to you know but um i i i you know, I, I'm pretty sure he just sent that to, you know, send a message and to stand up for his people like internally. But if he believes that, then that's bullshit because the story was 100 percent fair. There wasn't like there wasn't anything controversial in it. I mean, the whole conclusion was that like it gave I, I thought it gave off the impression they were a little biased, but I didn't. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I was I was hoping to get to like something inflammatory late in the article. And I was just like, all right, well, you know, good analysis. But like there wasn't like a and. And that See, this is where <laughs> I wish Kev still had some like I wish he wasn't like a married dad of two. Like if this was like 28, 29 year old Kev, I feel like uh, this Escobar guy. What's his name? Gabriel Escobar. I feel like Kev would just fucking roast him on the site, just taking him to task, being like, <laughs> you're a shoddy journalist. Like, I just wish we had 28, 29, 30 year old Kev. Now we have father of two Kev who's just yeah, like, wearing most, most, and working yeah. on tree houses. But Bob's right. There wasn't anything damning in there to begin. No. Like the most damning thing was that they like rejected an op-ed from Nutter, which is kind of crazy to me because like a former mayor and he's a black man. So you would think like you would want, you know, a a, a voice like that to be uh, in your <laughs> in your editorial section, especially when like then after the story was published like two days ago, they came out with like a combo Ed Rendell and John Street 
of op-ed asking them to push the Sixers arena topic to the next mayor. Like it's Mitch McConnell up there saying like, we must wait for the next president to do the Supreme court nomination or something. I was like, that's crazy to me. Cause like Helen Gim, Alan Dom, like none of them have, have come out like with any kind of concrete opinion of whether the arena should be built or not built. So saying kick the can down the road doesn't make any sense because there's not, it's, they're all kind of waffling on it to, to begin with. So I, I just found that to be, to be interesting i don't know it's just it's just a very it's yeah. the same thing that i did like the same conclusion from that story i did two years ago where they just the employees revolted there like they think the inquiry was too white and too old and so they tried to take steps to correct it now i just think they overcorrected a little bit you know um i've like very i've i have vehemently avoided using the word woke and i've not written that in any of the stories that i've done about them but inquire sources have used that word to me so it's just like, you know, kind of a snapshot of what's going on there internally where they're just the different desks aren't like on the same page and they kind of, uh, you know, look at look at each other and, and think that one person's work is not up to the quality of another person's work. You know, that's like the cliffs, cliffs notes of it. Do you think he was trying to scare your sources? Maybe, maybe. But I, I talk to people over there and I'm like, hey, are they? asking for phones are they like like going around talking to people are they calling meetings they said no they're not doing they're not doing that but it's happened before i've done stories where i did i was breaking philadelphia union stories like six or seven years ago and they were walking around like trying like threatening to take people's phones and like go through them and look at who they're texting and try to you know they were doing they were going to do that uh with all the leaks uh the year uh 2017 or 2018 the justina anderson years i heard there was like a rumor going around that howie and them like threatened them that like they were going to take their phones and shit and just find out who was doing all these leaks and like how he's like one of the biggest leakers in only, the I leak. <laughs> only i can leak only i leak yeah yeah that's the funniest shit isn't Adam? it like nobody else will <laughs> yeah. leak this me yeah how the I'm fuck like, did yeah. justin anderson get this and yeah, and he's got his friend, in the meantime he's got his phone he's like, mm, yeah. <laughs> like yeah i don't know it's just funny how all that's I, I i i think it's like um it's tough man because you're in a like i don't know not to rehash like all that shit again but it's like Although there's such a large staff down there, the sports people are doing their thing. The business people are doing their thing. Communities engagement doing their thing. You know, like if you're Keith Pompey or like Mike Sealski or something like that, you're like never even in the office to begin with. Yeah. Because you're either at home and then you go to the games and then you're at home and you go to the games. We're like, why do you have to even have to stop at this? So I don't know. It's just a lot of moving parts. But I mean, our staff is what, like five people or something. So it's just, <laughs> they've got like Maybe. 200 people that they're all trying to organize and like doing their own things. And then like, it's, you know, it's hard to do like larger coordination or whatever. So speaking of protests and activism, what do you guys think about the fact that the only uh, the only Flyers podcast didn't show up to the protest? Do you think they're kind of, you know, all, ba- all bark, no bite? <laughs> yeah. Russ is a uh, keyboard warrior. No, he's such yeah. a keyboard warrior. Uh, listen, um, do you think had they not made the changes in the front office that 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 thing would have had a little bit more juice or was that going to be always embarrassing from the start? <laughs> why, why would you use that word embarrassing? There may have been 15 uh, people there instead of 12. They will, I, like I've been saying, they will tell tales about the dirty dozen. Okay. <laughs> when Dave Scott leaves this all season, when Paul Holmgren and Bill Barber are fired, they will remember this little 15 year old kid telling Bill, Chuck Fletcher, you should get the fuck out of there. They'll remember this guy who's already got a fire Brer sign. They'll remember the the guy with the long hair who drank nine beers at 10 a.m. and then got back in his car. Um, he looks like a Steve, Steve Ioki there, that guy. Yeah. yeah. So what was the deal here? Like, were you talk- obviously you're talking to these people and are you like, hey, these are some good folks or are you like, they were nice. 
Yeah, they, they were all good. Stand-up they were people. really nice. They were uh, really nice guys. They cheered when me and Craig got there. They're really excited to see us. <laughs> uh, I, I, there we go. This is my favorite guy. This is the guy. He he literally chugged nine Miller Lights and then got back in his Ford Taurus. It was fucking amazing. And but his his Instagram handle was Alcoholic Flyers fan, so he's just staying on brand. It's not. Yeah, he's kind of got like a PFT commenter yeah. vibe about him, you know. One hundred percent. It's not drunk driving if it's just a brand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean they were really nice to us. It was a cold, rainy day on a Saturday at ten in the morning. Now, did the Chuck Fletcher news take take some wind out of the sails? It probably did. But did I also see people uh, commenting on Twitter about, oh, this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing when they just sat behind their keyboards and said, oh, this is embarrassing. Or do I I'll take more of these people who actually went down there and decided action was. The I right actually thing. So to clarify my stance, I have no problem with this. I actually think it's great. I was I was a little disappointed to see the turnout numbers. That's all. I, I kind of thought you'd at least get like a hundred, two hundred people down there. I did. I don't really? Know. I did. I were you expecting twelve people? Really? I was. Uh, so I was talking about it with somebody. I was like, we're either going to get like five people, or we're going to get two hundred to three hundred. There's no yeah, in between. There's not like a hundred. Because I know Flyers fans are pissed off, you know, because they have someone like Russ ruffling the feathers every day. But they're fire. They're they're, they're keyboard warriors. They love sitting behind their mics and they love sitting behind their keyboards. They love tweeting out. Death to uh, Chuck Fletcher and death to the Flyers. And, you know, the reason why the Flyers are feeding uh, stories to the Inquirer about Chuck Fletcher getting fired are the reasons why they're sitting behind their podcast. So, you know. Just yeah, Russ is a little instigator. He's a little Russian needler. Mm-hmm. You know? He's the kind, if you were playing dodgeball with Russ, he would throw the dodgeball at you and then he'd go hide behind one of his teammates. That's the kind of person mm-hmm. that he is, you know? <laughs> no. Can we but talk yeah, real quick there... about, let me say this real quick. Go ahead. Sorry. What is the, like, the reality, like, the practicality of Comcast selling the Flyers? No, none. They, they will have, not sell the Flyers. They, have, they would have two teams, like, the idea of it is just absurd because they would have two teams playing in an arena that they own, but they don't own any of those teams. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not like, you know, it would never be in their never makes sense. best business interest anyway. Yeah. I mean, they, they could just put millions of dollars into that arena too, you know, yeah. and then they're, and the flyers are not at a shortage of, for resources or, or, you know, support, support among ownership. Right. It's mm-hmm. just that the right people are not involved with ownership. Yeah. And, and I was talking to the guys down there, like if they strung, if they strung together a couple wins, there you go. If they strung together a couple wins. They got a top four guy, generational talent. I mean, they're not, probably not going to get Connor Bedard, but those guys said they'd be right back in it. Like the one guy was like, we just need a plan. Like, just give us a plan. You tell me we suck. We don't want to do the Flyers process. That's fine. But, you know, if we just need a plan and uh, we'll be right back on. You know, I feel bad for people like, you know, one thing that they could hang their hats on for for a generation was that they were always competitive. Like, yeah, they never closed. They, they never finished. Mm-hmm. But. Hey, every year, you know, you could reasonably expect them to make a run. And I mean, now not only is that not happening, but like you start doing the math and you're like, it's been almost, it's been almost 50 years since they've won a Stanley Cup. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of Eagles levels. Well, at least Stanley Cup was actually a real. I've I, I actually kind of come to sympathize more with, with Flyers fans in recent years. Like the frustration that they're showing now is warranted in my mm-hmm. opinion. And I think one of the things that I always kind of thought was weird was like in this city, if the Phillies don't perform well, managers got to go loser organization, you know, everything, blow it all up. Eagles, 
have two down years after winning the Super Bowl, and it's like how he's got to go, loser organization, fire everyone. The Flyers, I felt like, or I mean, the Flyers fans, I felt like for a while, like, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, early 2000s, I felt like almost like tolerated that that inability to, to get over the hump. Like, and that, that there was that generation of fan that was like, oh, Broad Street Bullies, we got to hit, we got to do it. Like, and I was just kind of like, what are you guys watching? Like, this team isn't winning anything. Like, why, why aren't you holding them accountable? So to see that frustration really kind of ratchet up here, I think is in a way like admirable. I'm kind of glad the fans are tired of it. Yeah. I mean, shout out to those guys who put it on. Um, though, I mean, I think this, uh, this video did pretty well. So I think people are more, I think I saw some comments where people were like, I wish I knew about this. So it's good. I think they're going to do another one. So look out for that. I think his name is pissed off flyers with a couple S on flyers fan on Instagram. If you want to go follow him and, and, and keep up with everything, but they did, they did a good job. Uh, the thing about back to your point about like them not really getting on the flyers is I feel like there was like every time they wanted to get on the flyers, they would like make a cup run like 97. They made a run 2004. They were like one round away uh, when they lost to the lightning. Then you have 10. Then you have, uh, well, I guess from, from 10 to, 23 hasn't well, been the greatest they're getting roasted for now about the you know hey it's a former player now you're mm -hmm. part of the front office the flyers family like for a long time that stuff was celebrated i think to a fall oh yeah too now much. they're getting crushed for it you know <laughs> I, I think that there's just been a turn of events here in recent years could you, not, if Toast, not, could you imagine if leonard toast had his whole family from like 1975 to like now and like Brian Dawkins is in the front office, Hugh Douglas is in the front office, like Jeremiah Trotter, uh, Ron Jaworski. Like we would make fun of that in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, the thing with the Flyers too is that they were not like outright dreck. You know, they just alternated playoffs, not playoffs, playoffs, yeah. not playoffs. You know, they had that amazing run in 2010. So it wasn't like they were like shit. This is like, we're not talking about the Arizona Coyotes. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, so that's why it would, that's why when people did the Stepford fans stereotype, I always thought that was a little off base because it's like this is not the I don't know, pick another team that was total dreck for a long time. It's not the the Golden State Warriors before they drafted Steph Curry. You know what you know what I mean? It's not Baron Davis's Golden State Warriors, right? So uh, I don't know. It just like that that just felt off base. But you're right, Bob. They were kind of caught in between two minds because like the family stuff and the continuity and the like the loyalty thing, those are like those interface very well with Philadelphia attitudes, you know, and then there's a sharp turn to, Oh no, now it doesn't, you know? Right. So it's, it's not, it's been a very nonlinear path for them. I don't think people like understand that. It's like, it's not, it's not the simple thing. It's kind of complicated. You know? The one kid in the helmet who I asked, oh, do you believe in Danny Briere? And he was like, yes. And then everyone started naming like, he's like, Oh, I think he deserves a shot. And then everyone's like, well, you know, Holmgren's a, a former flyer, Hextall for Barber Clark. And he just looks at the camera. He goes, yeah, maybe we should fire Breer. <laughs> just Scott wants it. Well, if we, Ted says we should get Russ on, but I don't know no. if I want to do that. Well, I mean, does he? Uh, I don't know. Bob, you're 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 Russ's boss. Can he come on? Yeah, Russ is allowed out. Okay, Russ is allowed out of the cage. He only gets five minutes, though. That's fine. That's fine. I'll I'm send, send it to him right now. I'll send it to him right now. Oh, uh, you send it to him. All right. Yeah. Stand up for yourself, Russ. Yeah, he's gonna come on and talk for five minutes straight. Yeah, well, none of us are gonna get anything in, but it's gonna become it's gonna be flyer five minute flyers talk with Russ. And then he's gonna um, shit, on, shit on Wawa, and then it'll be like playing the hits for him, you know. Hey, how about Aaron McKee resigning? <laughs> uh, Russ says he's not interested in coming on. See, there we go. So, I mean, all bark, no bite. 
just send comments, you know, through this the show, YouTube. This but, show, uh, I mean, it's just you know, talk behind your mic, yeah. yell at Ant Stanfilippo and Bundy. Yeah, and then oh, go I'll, hide behind I'll, him. I'll, I'll engage you on the temple thing. Is there a, a path back to? Um, I don't know, not championship nineties, but yeah, like it's run? back to being like, Hey, Temple's a four seed this year. They've got a shot. I really like, and I'll totally admit to you that I just learned about this guy who coaches Colgate. Um, he's won four Patriot league conference championships. Um, and he coached under Fran Dunphy. Uh, he would probably be my leader. The Rick Patino bit is a, a very jokey joke bit. I don't think the Temple Owls need a, I don't think the Temple Owls need someone that everybody knows. I think you right. kind of just tear it apart, rip it out from the ground up. The, the AAC is not going to be strong for the foreseeable future. Part of it is also the AAC sucks. Right, we're getting North Texas, FAU, UTSA. I mean, football has killed right. everybody outside of the power five. Now, if we strung along a couple of years, you know, whether it's football or basketball, and we were just dominating the AAC, would the ACC come along? I think they would. I think the ACC would look at the Philadelphia market, see Temple dominating. Temple has to dominate, obviously, and they would, uh, and they would, they would throw a bid out there. But as long as they're in the AAC, they will continue to remain relevant. And now that Houston and UCF are leaving, it'll continue to go down into relevance. And I think Cincinnati is leaving as well. So it's just, it's just not a good conference. It's. It's all due to Jay Wright and not letting us in the Big East and the Big East. So who do you, who do you, do you give a shit about anybody in March Madness? Yeah. I, I, so Kev, I I read the Penn state thing and I, I I like Seth Lundy. I watched Seth Lundy at Roman Catholic and I really liked how they played. Um, I watched them with like Lundy law though. He's not part of that. No, no. And, uh, and you know, I, I agree with you. Um, I don't like Penn state football, but how can you hate Penn state basketball? It's like hating Kansas football. Like, I, I don't think anybody from Oklahoma or Oklahoma State or Baylor is like, fuck Kansas football. I can't. Yeah, it's like hating the football. Cowboys and not caring about the Mavericks. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So it's like, yeah, I'll root for Penn State. I have no problem rooting for Seth Lundy and a couple of the local guys around here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Princeton, nah, fuck them. No, Princeton's not. No. And and P- Princeton's a Penn rival anyway. So it's like Penn you, State you, exists in their own world. You know? I don't know how you guys have historically felt about the tournament. Like, I love the tournament, as do most sports fans. You, Obviously, you have the brackets. Now you add the gambling element to it. You go out with some friends, drink some beers. Like I just think it's one of the best days on the sports calendar. I always have, and I still do. Um, I watch a lot of college basketball when we get to the second half of February. Really, once the Super mm-hmm. Bowl's over, I dial in for those three, four weeks leading up to this. And not that I know anything, not that I, I really have a sense of what's going to happen, but I try to learn a little bit so that when I watch the tournament, I have a little bit of a feel here. Um I still love it. And like, I know there's been a lot of conversation about one and done sort of uh, taking a little bit of the like interest off of it, that you don't have these, these teams where you really know the personalities year after year. Does any of that really matter? Or do you still just take the event for what it is? I think you don't have to watch one college basketball game and you can still get into it on Thursday and Friday, take off from Friday, go to the bar with your buddies and just throw in some $10 bets, throw in some $5 bets, you know, it's like a number one event. It's like the main event every year that you don't need a rooting interest for to enjoy. That's the thing that I think is remarkable uh, remarkable about it. Like, even in this area, you're not going to hear, you know, WIP breaking down the tournament, right? Like, people don't have, like, allegiances that are strong enough to really, you know, warrant that type of conversation. But it's really the one event because Philadelphia is so – it's got to be about Philly. If it's not about Philly, we don't care. 
this is like the one event where I think people can still just buy in for four days and then, you know, a couple days after that and, and still be hooked. Hey, there he is. Oh, look who joined. I'm not just a five minutes no, away. I, I didn't want to talk I, about I didn't want to talk about hockey. I'll talk about basketball. I do have a question. You don't want to snow, no, snow the snow the rim podcast. Yeah, there we go. College. So I, I look so pretty. So <laughs> college basketball, uh, the, this whole like the city six, nobody qualified. Can I throw out a theory here? Of course I will. Kincaid will hate it. So Jay Wright leaves Villanova. There had been no murmurs about him wanting a better contract and Nova maybe balking at the price. But has Jay Wright just priced himself into the biggest head coaching deal to come back and take over Villanova again? Because you you can't have this for a second year, right? Like he at this point can ask anything he wants. Because even though there there was some initial recruiting, like Jay Wright being gone has tanked the Nova program for a year. I know the maestro wouldn't want to hear that, but like if you if you do this another year, if Kyle Neptune leads you into oblivion for a second straight year, that whole program, that profile of that program drops exponentially. That that to me. So is you, an you think Jay concern. Wright would be motivated to come back to save the the brand of Villanova, or do you think he'd be more motivated to go try it again somewhere else? Mm. I don't know. Like I so. I I think you guys know my my long held belief here that Jay Wright was holding out for the Knicks job. I don't know if he'll ever go to the pros. I really don't. But if there's another college program that needs to bounce back or who needs a great recruiting class, or like he has now shown that this wasn't a fluke and this wasn't. Do they wear just, cherry and white, Russ? No, no, no. There's no there's no chance that he takes over another yeah. another team. And the the, the thing I don't get is there there are, and maybe it's just because it's alumni who kind of push, 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 push their narrative that like their team's going to rebound, like LaSalle's going to rebound or Temple's going to get it right this time or St. Joe's. Like these programs from an outsider's perspective have not meant anything except for a couple of small runs here and there. How does a city and how does a geographic uh, area fail to recruit good enough players that like one out of six can't make it in? Well, this is like the biggest failure of, of Philadelphia college sports that I can ever remember seeing. Like, how does this happen? There are a lot of socioeconomic issues uh, that are real about people wanting to leave the city of Philadelphia and get the hell as far away as they can. Uh, you look at Isaiah Wong, who just won the AAC Player of the Year. You look at DJ Wagner out of Camden, who's going to Kentucky, and the guy from Imhotep, who's going to Kentucky. Um, and then we had a guy who was like a fifth-year senior at our place who, uh, when I was in school, who lived five blocks down the road. And people were like, why didn't you ever go? He's like, I wanted to get the hell out of Philadelphia because it just wasn't wasn't good for me, wasn't good for my family and all that stuff. So there are definitely socioeconomic issues that go into it. But there's also like Aaron McKee. I always I always question, and you see this, I think, a lot with, and well, no, you don't see it because Hardaway can recruit, but guys that have millions of dollars in the bank who are former NBA players, how are they really crushing tape at three in the morning? Are they really feeling it to like go out to a recruiting trip to a guy in like Dayton, Ohio, or like the middle of nowhere, Maryland and stuff, or even Philadelphia, really? Probably not. You know, when you had all that money in the bank, you worked your ass off to get your career. You have a 12 year career in the NBA. How much more do you really want to, you know, work hard and everything? We need a guy who's hungry, like the guy from Colgate or a guy from, uh, I know he left Penn State under um, some allegations, but Pat Chambers, who was a really good recruiter in Philadelphia. We need a guy who can recruit Philadelphia and recruit the surrounding areas to come back and keep guys in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, the problem with it, too, is that there's some oversaturation, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talent here and it's hard to mm-hmm. keep that talent, especially when you've got six local programs, you know, so it's like if you took 
the best player from LaSalle, the best player from St. Joe's, the best player from Temple, the best player from Penn, you put them all on one team, of course they would make the tournament. But you're spreading this talent now. Although take not even the guys who leave, but the guys who are left over. Penn State's got two local kids. Maryland has two local kids. You know, you talk about the guys going to Kentucky. But like even what's left over, what's left over is good enough. And then they get spread out among the city six, you know? So it's a then they don't none of these these there's too many alumni spread out in this region to to elevate any one of those teams above the other. The shit that we would do at Eyewitness News was like Southwest Philly floater, not because we gave a shit about LaSalle, but because it was like a viral moment. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, Temple fans don't give a shit about LaSalle. LaSalle fans don't give a shit about St. Joe's. St. Joe's fans don't give a shit about Penn. And so the casuals don't either. You know, it's just too fractured and then like oversaturated with the with the leftover recruits who actually do stay, you know what I mean? And it needs an injection of some sort, you know, like young guys who are hungry to, to try to convince those guys to stay. Yeah. If you're any guys up in cold country, there, huh? Up in cold country. No, there's not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's somebody, I don't know. I haven't been in the cold country in 10 years, 15 years. So I don't know. Not, not keeping up with the uh, local tournaments at uh, Mart's hall in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Um, Jimmy Chipwood's out there. Do you think there's a chance that Nova goes back and re-engages Jay? Yes. Do you think Jay yeah, has any interest in coming back? Think he's not going to do that to his former assistant, though. Probably, you know, like yeah. if they had brought in, it'd be like Duke, like Coach K going back to Duke and, you know, telling Shire or whatever to take on. Yeah, except John Shire just won the AAC or ACC. Yeah, sorry. but no, but, 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 the, but the same parallel. You know, it's not, it's not about the record or anything like that. It's about like, hey, would he, if they brought in an outsider – like, okay, they would have no problem booting the outsider and Jay comes back in. But I don't think he's going to do his, his assistant dirty, you know, his former assistant. If what if Jay Wright... next year, though? Yeah, but I mean, then, if there was pressure... Then at that, that point, you from... are talking about the legacy, right? Like, at that point, you are talking about, like, if, if they miss the tournament a second year in a row, then you are talking about legacy. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be it would have to be initiated by the college. It would have to be initiated by the administration because if, like... If Jay did it, I, I, I think he, he seems like he's too honorable of a dude to like pull that kind of shit on a on a former assistant. You know what I mean? You could argue St. Joe's is the best setup for next year, which is crazy. St. Joe's who hasn't like sniffed the tournament like once since Jameer Nelson and Delonte West are. I mean, Villanova just lost out of recruit to FAU, who is going to the AAC next year. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, that's problematic. Well, and St. Joe's, if I correct me if I'm wrong, with the last trip that St. Joe's made was when they had to go to Spokane and there was a reporter who had his feet up on the desk. And Phil Martelli said, You guys put your feet up on the desk out here. And then he asked him where he could get some weed. So it's different, <laughs> it's a different kind of vibe out in uh, the Pacific Northwest or whatever. They won yeah. their opening game and then they lost to uh, Oregon or something. I think they had Bembry on that team. Bembry was a senior. Yeah, so. they lost to UConn. UConn went all the way. Um, Bob, you got any, anything else? You got any more takes on college basketball? No, no. Uh, tough year for the Monmouth Hawks. And you guys talk about the city being too fractured, and then you have powerhouses to the north like Monmouth. Mm-hmm. It just makes it even harder, you know? Yeah. So, how's, yeah. how's Rowan? I know they're looking for their first title since 96. I don't know too much about Rowan Hoops right now. All right. I don't know too much about Rowan Hoops. Well, I'll uh, talk to you guys soon when you decide to pay attention to baseball. Because, uh, you know, like Phillies baseball, not the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. Um, Call me in April. Let me know. I'll be back. We'll come. Do you board. guys know that Crossed Up is doing two episodes a week now? Oh, yeah. By the way, yeah. Thanks. We should have plugged that. That's my fault. Uh, go listen to Ann Sanfilippo and San Francisco, whose team got really good last night. And uh, Bob Wankel on Crossed Up. Bob, can you tell the people when those are scheduled? 
Uh, yeah, every uh, every Monday and Friday right now through spring training. And then once the season starts, we do our full shows on Monday and Friday. And then we're doing uh, like little 20 minute recap breakdown shows every morning. Uh, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So it's a five day a week uh, experience this spring. Should be fun. Wow. Yeah. Give the people all the content they want. Yeah. We're going to try to build the thing. We actually feel like we have a chance to build something there. So we'll see what happens. Listen, people were engaging with Trey Turner tweets at 1130 at night. So there's a Phillies, there's a Phillies crowd out there that's uh, waiting to be tapped into. Absolutely. Uh, Russ, do you got anything on the protest or did you just come on here to talk college basketball? I think the protest was fine. You fucking liar. No, I mean, they, they fired, they fired the guy everybody hated. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Once they remove Dave Scott, they'll talk about the dirty dozen forever. I mean, once they remove Dave Scott, they just have to hope that a bunch of other cronies don't go in and run the show, which um, there's a chance will happen. So we'll see. Wonderful. Good to see. All right. Well, the Flyers remain the Flyers. The Eagles remain the Eagles. Everybody settle down. Let Howie do his work. The Phillies, go listen to Bob and Ann Filippo and the Sixers. None of us are talking about the Sixers, who are like right outside the second seed uh, in, in the Eastern Conference right now and probably the best setup for, uh, for a run. Um, but this is the broadcast for today. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Kevin. Thank you to Russ for coming on. Thank you to Bob for coming on. And thank you to you, the listener, the most important person. We will talk to you on Thursday.